FTBD is proudly brought to you by Black Dog Coaching, the only online fitness and nutrition company that work exclusively with people in the mental health space. While other fitness and nutrition companies focus purely on looking good, Black Dog Coaching offers full spectrum coaching that incorporates fitness, nutrition, mindset, habits, routines, and lifestyle choices to support positive mental health. So if you're battling the black dog, there's two things you need to do. Number one, contact your GP and arrange a mental health care plan with your mental health professional. And number two, contact Black Dog Coaching. Because while a mental health professional is a very important piece of the puzzle, it's just one small piece of the mental health pie. For the other 90%, Black Dog Coaching has got your back. For more information, check out www.blackdogcoaching forward slash information. Rightio, welcome to another edition of FTBD, Fuck the Black Dog. If this is your first time tuning in, then you're in for an absolute cracker of an episode today. Uh, I've got a special guest with me, Mr. Duncan Burns, who's a good friend of mine. And I'll tell you what, the story that he's got to share with you guys today, if you ever think that you're having a bad day, I want you to take a good listen to this and reflect on uh, you know, what a true story of redemption is. So Duncan, thanks for joining us today, brother. Oh, good to be here, man. Um, for, go, for those of you who are new to the podcast, there are a couple of caveats I like to throw out first. So first and foremost, I am not a mental health professional, nor do I ever pretend to be. If you are in that place, if you, are, if you think that you are suffering from a mental health condition or you know that something is wrong in your head, take the time to reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, refer yourself to a GP and get the help that you need. Second of all, I know what's coming up in this episode, but as with all episodes, there may be certain bits of content that can act as trigger warnings. So if you come across something that you feel is triggering you, by all means, just simply turn it off, guys. Nobody's sitting and making you listen to it, but be advised, there are there is some strong content, as always, with this podcast, so just be advised. Last and not least, uh, the only way that we can grow this beast, the only way we can uh, make this movement bigger and better and reach more people and help more people is by you guys sharing the load. So here's what I ask of you. This podcast is free and always will be free. And in exchange for that, if you take anything away from this podcast that you think can help somebody, if you take anything away from it that helps you, what I want from you in return is for you to share this. I want you to share it on your social media platform, share it with a loved one, share it with somebody who you think could benefit from hearing it. And that's all we, that's all we ask for and that's all we will ever ask for in exchange for this podcast. So without further ado, let's get cracking. So today's guest, Mr. Duncan Burns, has had what you would call an exceptional life. From childhood trauma through to outlaw motorcycle gang activity, overcoming a drug addiction, to literally transforming his life, and he's now smack bang in the middle of trying to overhaul the youth justice system. So Duncan, let's start at the beginning, brother. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So what we'll do... In a minute or less. Um, before, you get, before, you, before you get into that, just one couple of things I'd like to say is if something does trigger you on this on this um, podcast, take the time to sit back and figure or have a think about what it is that you're being triggered and what why that is coming up for you. And maybe it's something you might need to look into rather than, I mean, okay, if it's getting too full on, yeah, switch off by all means, but come back to it. Because obviously, if there's something triggering you, and this is just my experience, is there's something triggering you, then it's probably something that you really need to take a good delve into and have a good fucking look. Yeah, awesome. Good advice, brother. Yeah. Really good. All right, so what we're going to do, bro, in a minute or less, I want you to try your best to summarize your life, and then we'll go back and expand on those points, because you've got a hell of a story, man. <laughs> so I think you might need more than a minute, brother, but one, anyway. One minute. See if you can summarize your life in a minute, and then we'll come back and touch on all the key points. Okay, I grew up in a good home, um, became an only child due to certain issues, which we might cover in this podcast, um, went to good schools, um, grew up feeling like an outsider, never feeling ne- never feeling like I fitted in, always being a loner or the lone wolf, they say. Um, fell into depression after my first relationship breakdown at 15 massive depression um that's when my drugs started taking or drug abuse started um trying to escape depression um that then evolved into meeting up with gang members and then getting into gang life um being shot dead coming out of that then moving on to do the dream life in the mines 
than getting another drug addiction. The wife, you say. <laughs> That's the guy, you know, the, the all Australian American slash American dream bullshit. Um, then, you know, coming across another uh, drug addiction because I didn't learn the lessons fully. And then, um, yeah, getting to where I am now and working in the community services industry and being four years now working towards my mission or what I believe I'm here for, and that's to restructure the youth justice system, learn, learn, use my life experience and all that shit to try and transform lives. That was about a minute 45. That was still a pretty good effort. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we had to, had to skim a few parts there. So let's, yeah. let's, take it, let's take it back a little bit. So obviously you knew from a, uh, from a reasonably young age, like 15 is a young time, you know, a young age to sort of have things start to come off the rails. Tell us a little bit about that period of time in your life and the sort of beginning of the deterioration for you. Oh, well, realistically, it started well, well before that. Um, um, it started with my childhood. I blocked out the first seven years of my life due to childhood trauma. Nothing major, but... Um, uh, my uh, younger sister uh, died a cot death when I was a toddler. Um, and obviously, the ensuing trauma and all that caused me to block out the first seven years of my life. Um, so that's obviously where that all stems from, like everything stems from your childhood trauma. Um, I then but they had, a, had an awareness when I was probably eight that I knew I was here to help people. Um, yeah, it's about eight years old or whatever. Um, it's pretty young. It's pretty young to have that sort of epiphany, man. Yeah, yeah. I, very strange. I've grown up with deja vu all my life. Yeah. So I don't know whether that sort of connected to that. Um, but then, yeah, got into my first real, you know, relationship with a girl. I had my first sexual experience with her. Um, I had sex with her before. I was, you know, masturbating, self pleasuring. So it was really a big thing for me. Um, but uh, like a lot of relationships, until you become massively aware of your patterns and habits, I was just attracting somebody who wasn't emotionally available, you know, which is sort of similar um, situation from growing up. Yep. Um, so that triggered me off and I went into like a six-month massive spiral. Um yeah, really withdrawn, really dark places. Vision had suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies, um, had visions of how I was going to do it, all that sort of shit, and then got introduced to um, pot by one of the guys I went to school with. Um, so then, yeah, that was my escape. Um, that soon became an everyday fucking thing um, to the point of even, you know, before school. Wake up, um, punch a cone, and go to school. Pretty much, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in saying that too, I was heavily into sports. I was massively into sports all my life because that's where I was quite good at. I yep. strugg struggled in school, never had really good grades, struggled with this and that. I was never really into the academics, always into sporting and shit like that. So, yeah. Uh, one sort of thing that really stems from me, and, and it's got to do with I believe, in my opinion, it's got to do with a lot of shit that guys are going through um, now. It's generational. Um, I mean, I remember my father saying to me when I came out of that dark hole when I was a teenager, oh, man, I could really – I saw you struggling there. Um, and like My first original thought was, fucking really? You saw me struggling that bad and you didn't say anything? You yeah, didn't reach out yeah, or yeah. whatever. And I, Did you ever have I, that conversation with him? I, res, I As a young fellow, I resented that, but it's only since I've done my healing and PTS uh, and my um, CBT sessions and all that sort of stuff and the healing journey that I'm on now um, that I realized he had probably just as bad or worse childhood than that. His, you know, my grandfather was typical British, so there was no emotions whatsoever. Yep. You know, my grandfather was flying planes around the world, so he had to step up as the sort of male role model of his family at, you know, 13 or 14, you know. So the pressure, yeah, right. the pressure yeah. on him would have been you immense. Know, fucking immense. So he was only passing on his uh, generational programming onto me. He didn't know any better. It, it, was actually, it was actually you that told me. It's something that I use now. It's uh, if 
something along the lines of if trauma and alcoholism and family violence is generational, then healing can be generational as well. But it starts with us. It's up to us to, to break that cycle and pass on something different to our kids. Yeah, I've heard that quote. I can't remember where I heard that quote from before. I mean, fuck, everybody's a walking cliche these days. <laughs> No, if, it, if it's not a meme on Facebook, it's not yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you hear everybody regurgitates some famous dude's thing. I mean, you know, not too many people claim it to be theirs, but it's just regurgitated cliches. If you're listening to this, you heard it from me first, so it's mine. Just <laughs> quote it as Coach Neil from the Black Dog Brotherhood. Just quote me. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, that's what I really believe now. You know what I mean? If, the, you know, men are stepping up and doing the work, because, I mean, it's always been portrayed as women have always had that spirituality and healing side, nurturing side and all that sort of stuff. And it's only sort of becoming um, more and more prevalent, I suppose, the word is that men are realising that it doesn't have to be We've got same. to do the work too. It does, yeah, well, to meet them on a level, you know, I mean, have a look at how many relationships don't fucking survive, man, because the women, the woman and the man aren't on the same level. They're, they're not connecting there's no fucking communication, which is a massive issue I've had um, throughout my whole life. Um, what we'll, we'll do is we'll come, because that's actually going to tie in when we get towards the back end of your journey, the spiritualism, that side yeah. of the house. So, you know, you're sort of, you're in your early, late teens, you've got a nasty pot habit, you feel depressed or you're suffering from depression, you've got, you know, suicidal ideology. So really, when you think about the next step in your life into into gang life, you are just primed for the for the picking. When you think about guys who enter that gang life, it always seems to be guys who are seeking validation or seeking something or seeking to belong. Do you think that that sort of fits with uh, the path that you took with heading in towards gang life? Oh, definitely. And even the guy that I do meditative healing sessions through, um, he actually said to me, he put it in a term that after I split with my first girlfriend, she went after the bad boy. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, okay, she originally yeah. perceived me as the bad boy, but her parents grew to like me. Do you know what I mean? She so wanted a rebel that they hated. Well, that, that was it, and that's why she dumped me and cheated on me, and that's what started off that pitfall. But um, old mate who did the healing session with me said all that did was propel me into going full fucking end of the spectrum. Like, yep. Bad boy, you want to see bad boy? I'll fuck, fucking give you bad yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah, and it was all subconscious. I, I, you know, it was just a matter for me at that time of fitting in. And the reason that I got into gang life was it was portrayed to be a family thing, a brotherhood. I, yeah, yeah. That yeah. If um, something happened to me, then somebody else was going to step up and um, raise my kids the way that I wanted them to be raised. Well, that was what was portrayed to me. Yeah, it was only a short period of time after I patched up that you know I realised, and probably even subconsciously realized before i patched up that it, it was all bullshit yep tell us a little bit about so let's talk about so obviously uh gang life didn't obviously help the situation um let's sort of uh run over we'll condense this as much as possible um tell us a little bit about your time in the gang and where it ended up leading to you obviously you've mentioned that you ended up getting shot and and killed you actually died yeah. on the table didn't you Nah, yeah i died in the gutter died in the yeah. gutter <laughs> oh, well, i'm pretty sure i died in the gutter um yeah, sort of. Um, I got. Yeah, well, it'll, we'll, we'll go back a little yeah. bit. So, leading up to that, obviously, it's a slippery slope between being an angry teen and getting shot and dying in a gutter. So, tell us about that mm. gap in the middle where you sort of first come into gang life. Yeah, well, I got out of high school and just wanted to work and ended up getting a job in a pub and then worked, ended up working with one of the members' um, wives who introduced me to him, obviously. Um, they um, offered me to come out and go to a bike show. I went out to my first bike show and just like walked around with my fucking jaw on the floor, you know, like, oh, fuck, this is another side to life, you know? Yeah. And actually, funny, it's all, it came back to me later on that even when I was a young fella growing, going, growing up, my family used to go on holidays up to Byron from Sydney. Yep. And the Comancheros went past the car when I, I must have been about 12 or 13, man. It was like a, a pack of about 40. And you could hear them coming for miles and they went past. And I even remember saying to myself, I want that. And that was at 12 and 13. But I, ne that, yeah, I, I yeah. never, that never came back to me till after I left the club, like that realization. So yep. it was that, it was another subconscious the level. Seeds being thing. planted early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, started hanging around, went to my first bike show, got introduced to speed. 
Um, so then yeah, it was just like, and then went to the after party and it was just like, oh fuck, this is where I fit in. Yep. Like, it begins. And, and, and had, had fucking preached to me like, this is brotherhood family and just like, fuck yeah, this is it. This is where it all starts. The missing link. Yep. So then I hung around for two and a half years, you know, being very wary and watching everything and because I'm a very big sort of watcher, always have been. Um. And, yeah, patched up thinking I knew all the ins and outs to get me through without getting my head kicked in um, and thrown out to yep. actually get my patch. And so, yeah, went through that phase. Um, unbeknownst to me, my cousin who's born on the same day as me, eight years apart, actually was hanging around the Byron Bay chapter of the same fucking club. Yeah, always, okay. Yep. And patched up. we patched up within a week of each other. Yeah, without, okay. Without even. Without even realising. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, knew we were, right. knew each other were hanging around, but um, um, we didn't know actually until we started speaking. And then um, we met up at a party and didn't even hadn't spoken to each other for ages. And yeah, we, yep. were, we were normed up. Yeah, right. Up then and then into the life. And it's a uh, it's a pretty safe bet to say that you know being a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang, you're exposed to things that you know. They change a man. The things that you see, the things that you do, there's, you know, you can't live that sort of life without it taking a toll and without it changing. Obviously, you know, you've lived with PTSD and, and, and the like from as a result of your time with the gang. Well, the best sort of the closest thing I reckon I could describe it, not that I'm an army man, is you see shit up close. You see pretty brutal shit up close. You see, you know, I've seen plenty of people or, yeah, had people Bones broken in front of me, fucking people opened up. Yeah, baseball bats, fucking all sorts of shit, man. So you can't yeah, un- you can't unsee that once you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, it sort of sets that all that shit in motion, man. You know, I've been in pub brawls against one of, another gang and nearly been had my heart skewered with a Bowie knife. It was Jesus. only it was only the so I, you've been stabbed and shot. Oh no, the bouncer who because I knew the bouncer because I was in the chain of hotels that I used to work in. Yeah, yeah, he, he actually grabbed the guy's arm. Um, and stopped it about half an inch away from going up under my ribs and into my heart. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that was the first close call to death. Um, then had, you know, a few other multiple close calls on, on the bike itself, just pushing the limits to the bike. Yep. Um, which was just about every time you got on. Yeah, because I remember you saying that one of the things about being in the gang is about how hard you can ride, who can ride oh, the hardest. It's a fucking testosterone, ego fueled, fucking. Pissing competition. Pushing each other to the limits, man. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And that's where a lot of accidents happen with when they're on the bikes, is just pushing fucking limits, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember one time going on a national run and um, the, the speedo on my bike finished at 220. And I was well over that. It was just bouncing off the 220 mark. Yeah, yeah. Over, it was over past the 220 mark. Yeah, right. Uh, That's yeah, hairy. Yeah. I uh, I clocked uh, 290 once on. A, I used to have a GSXR 1000, and uh, I just wanted to do it. Just wanted to put it out. It was like the Stargate, man. Like as soon as you see something on the horizon, it's going past you. If anything happens, you can't react to it. There's oh, no yeah, reaction yeah. time. It's, it's game over. But what you don't, what I realize now, and as I didn't realize back then, subconsciously, I was, you know, on a death wish suicide mission yeah it was just pushing that envelope because you didn't give a fuck about the outcome yeah exactly you know what i mean so you're already on that un- unbeknownst you're already on that downhill fucking slope yeah that downhill run pushing it so you didn't give a fuck but then it all did come to a head and you ended up with a, a bullet lodged right next to your heart and uh ended up dying in a gutter um yeah was that, was that a turning point in sort of realizing that this is not the path you want to be on i sort of already knew that it wasn't it wasn't for me, but whether it was my stubbornness or whether I wanted to get it back to what it was supposed to be, because um, it had already started to turn, you know, with for greed and all that sort of shit and toxic shit, um, or more toxic than it fucking could have already been. Yep. Um. Yeah, fucking one day riding, and we were already at war with another club, and drove past. You know, long story short, drove past a couple of cars. And next thing I saw, something catch the corner of my eye and look back in the mirror and a dude leaned out of the car and let off a round. Yeah, right. Um, bullet went in my back and out my chest, half a, half a centimetre away from my from my heart. Yeah, right. I suppose everybody's, the question everybody wants to know, <laughs> how does it feel to be shot? Especially <laughs> like that. I mean, I know everybody right now is like, dude got shot in the back and out his chest. Like, 
I can't even begin to fathom what that would have felt like, man. Yeah. Um, a burning sensation. <laughs> burning. <laughs> it burnt. Um, yeah, I can but, imagine, man. But also, um, it was like, the only way I can explain it was like a six-foot guy smashing in the back with a baseball bat. Yeah. It looked, you know, obviously I blacked out. Initially, came to, still on the bike. On the You're still riding? Side. Yeah, still on the wrong side of the road. Um, on the wrong side of the road, going into a roundabout on the wrong side of the road. So lucky it was early hours in the morning. There was no other cars. Um, yeah, realised from the, the sound that I heard just before I blacked out that obviously I'd been shot. Um, came to obviously having first aid uh, training for my security license previously. Knew I had to try and suppress the bleeding. Um, put my hand on my chest. I dropped down a gear on the bike. Put my hand on my chest, and I knew I was only, you know, however far away from um, my vice president at the time's house. So I knew I had to make it there too. If I had any chance of living, I had to make it there. So you knew at that point when you felt your chest and it was and it was bleeding there, you knew you were dying. Oh man, fucking yeah. Well, I mean, you could feel the burning sensation. What I worked, at, what I found out later was, um, the. The, the bullet didn't make it out. I only just made it out my the other out of my chest and was sitting just below the um, below the bullet hole, burning my skin. So that no was, shit. That was the burning. So your shirt or your yeah yeah fucking jacket. jacket stopped the bullet as it came out the other yeah, side. And it was just sitting yeah. there burning. I can yeah. actually that part I can relate to because uh, one of the things in the army is like when you fire, you always get rounds down the back of your shirt and fucking down your sleeves and that. And yeah, it's just right. for anybody who doesn't know, it's fucking hot. Like we're talking <laughs> white hot. Yeah. Like it burns, so well, to top it off, I was pushing that against my chest. <laughs> it was still in my shirt, so I was trying to compress the bleeding, and I was pushing it into my chest. So that was the burning sensation. But as I rode up the hill, every heartbeat I could feel the blood pumping yeah. down my back. So I knew things weren't good. Time critical. Yeah, yeah, and got to the end of the street, um, and. We're seeing, you know, hundreds of individual rays of sunlight and just thought, mm, this isn't really good. I've got to take my hand off my chest to drop down the gear. So I did that, turned into the street, got to the house I had to pull up out the front of and forgot to put my leg down. So then the next bike thing, just toppled. next thing, the bike's on top of me, legs or one leg and laying on the ground. So they dragged me out and, um. Yeah, the usual shit in a movie, you know. One guy runs out, slapping him in the face. Stay with me, stay with me, talk to me, talk to me. You know, that usual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, that usual cliche shit. Um, but, that's yeah, that's what happened. And I actually looked, came to came to and said to him, um, tell my missus and my kid, I love them. I'm, I'm dead. See ya. I'm out. I just shut my eyes. And my eldest daughter, who's now 15, was... Three and a half, four months old. So, damn, man, I couldn't even fathom. And the, the thing is, like, that's not even, you haven't even hit rock bottom yet. Things only got worse <laughs> from there. Like, oh, everybody's sitting there right now going, oh my God, this dude is fucking, you know, seen, seen horrible things and he's being shot and he's saying goodbye, you know, to his missus and his kid. You haven't even hit rock bottom yet. There's still more to go. Oh, it gets better than that. <laughs> <laughs> the shit just keeps getting better. Um, Four day. Oh, to top it off, the day I got shot was Good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so, whether not, which way you look so at it, good. yeah. Oh, it was because I ended up surviving. I got I, they um the paramedics obviously kept me alive or, or kept me going till they got me to the hospital, and then the next um excruciating pain was them jamming hose through my rib cartilage as drainage holes for the blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway. Another sort of long story short, checked myself out after four days of being in hospital, had a gut full of it, said, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. The nurse said, oh, I can't, can't do anything. I said, how do I get out of here? She said, oh, you've just got to sign forms. So give me the forms. Give me the forms. Give me the forms. I'm fucking out of here. So they pulled the drainage, uh, drainage hoses out. Um, they hadn't stitched up the holes in my chest and my back or even my sides. So I just got up, walked to the fucking nurse's thing, signed out, walked off. I'm out of here. Yeah, my partner, the, mom, the mother of my girls was with me at the time. Got to the front doors of the hospital and I was swaying backwards and forwards. That's how much. So like I fucked up here. Maybe I shouldn't have no, done this. I, <laughs> no, no. I'm going. out of here. No, she was going. She was begging me to stay. She was like, come on, you got to stay. you got to stay. And I was just, nah, fuck it. Just get the car. We're going. I'm out. Yeah. 
probably one of the few times she actually listened to what I asked her to do, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably not a good thing. But um, yeah, got in the car, went home, and then yeah, in and out of hospital the next four weeks to the point where the last time um, I tried to lay down one night and I'd already had the sweats starting to kick in, yep. which you, you know. If you know anything, it's the there's obviously an infection. Infection, yep. Um, and couldn't lay down from the excruciating pain, so I got up, told the you know my partner at the time, I'm um, going to hospital, um, and drove myself up to hospital. Yep. Um, as I said, I've been in and out of hospital a couple of times before that. I'm um, in that period. Um, got up there and they did X-rays on me, and I remember laying in some half-lit room and a security guard with me. I was just like, oh. you know, I'm trying to figure out why they had a security guard oh, with me. Oh, because gunshot wound, the police had to get involved. Oh, well, because I was on the computer. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. So, yeah, they had somebody with me the whole time. Um, And he actually told me they can't, couldn't work out why I was still alive. I was, yeah, a, okay. I was a, an anomaly. They had all the student doctors coming in to figure out, trying to work we know, out. We, now know, we know now, bro, it's because you've got a fucking purpose to fulfill. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. There's definitely no amongst other things. So yeah, it was, man. It wasn't the first time I spent some decent time in hospital. Oh, my partner um, had a really bad car accident in, when I was in gang life and fucking busted herself up really bad. Spent yep. a few months in hospital. So yeah, okay. Yes, yep. We lost our first child over that. Jesus, it just keeps going. Yeah, well, that happened before I all, all got shot. Um, so And then I had guys turn on me in the club because they were setting me up. For fucking to be a scapegoat for something that was going on, which awesome. I worked out, which I worked out what was going on while she was in hospital, and then had them turn on me as well. Fucking hell! So let's uh just uh you know keep it moving forward. Like we said, we haven't even yeah we haven't even hit rock bottom yet. Let's move on to the next chapter of your life, uh, the mining dream, and your, your, your battle with addiction coming back to bite you. Let's let's talk about that a little bit, bro. Oh, well, I've been addicted. Addic- had. Multiple substances abuses this whole time so far. Yep. Um, pot and speed mainly. Yep. Um, then yeah, stopped smoking pot after I got shot and all that sort of stuff, and got clean to go to the mines. Um, packed everything up in the house. Um, my partner and my daughter went to um, my parents' place to stay up north in New South Wales, and I went on and. Stayed in a another clubhouse shack um, through, you know, obviously connections I had in other clubs. Yep. Who helped me out. Um, stayed there for, uh, what was it, two or three weeks and then stayed in another dude's caravan in front of his house for another two to three weeks. Another two weeks or whatever it was um, until I could manage to get a house to rent and a job. Um, just driving trucks locally up, up in Gladstone area, man. Yep. And then, um, yeah, through connections in other clubs and another guy who'd gotten a, gone up there to get away from all that shit, um, managed to get a start in the mines. Yeah, okay. And uh, that basically, even though you had a, a job and you started with the mines, it was uh, was that about the period of time that I started to become a real fucking, a real issue for you? Or well, all... I was clean then. Yep. I was all clean at that stage. Um, I'd already had ice here and there. Um, I hadn't had it the way I had it before. I had it. The last addiction was smoking it, um, because that was all barred, banned in clubs. Yep, yep. If you got caught injecting or smoking, shit like that, you just got bashed and thrown out. Yeah, okay. Um, not to say other guys got set up and fucked over, and that was the treacherous part of gang life. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I was clean then, but what I hadn't dealt with was the PTSD diagnose diagnosis from being shot and yep. obviously what I'd experienced in gang life, man. I wasn't directed to can I can't remember being directed to counselling or anything like that to try and deal with my PTSD. Yep. Um, you know, and even back then, before I even moved to Queensland, I'd be driving trucks around and I'd see another patch and I'd just go into a spiral for days. Yep. You yep. know what I mean? There was you know, it was just yeah, fucking full on. Yeah. So then went up, yeah, got a job in the mines, thought, oh, yeah, I'll go and earn the good money, earn the good life, you know, the usual, you know. Yeah, yeah. Another cliche of the American or Australian dream, you know, whatever you want to fucking call it. Yep. Um, yeah, started working away and then 
you know, we decided to have another um, child. Yep. Um, and then managed to get, you know, a mortgage. Uh, you know, a yeah, okay, so things were starting stuff. to turn around. Yeah, yeah, things were going oh, sort of good in a way. Um, but obviously, you know, myself, I hadn't dealt with, you know, shit that I needed to deal with. So yep. it, was, it was only a matter of time before it comes back, as you know, I mean. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So this was about the time things were starting to come together. You're working in the mines and then the relationship started to fall apart. Was that the next sort of big yeah, thing well, that sort of drove you down? That's it, working away, as, as I'm sure you probably know from being the army and anybody that works yeah, in takes fly, toll. fly out, um, it takes, and you might be earning good money, but there's more as, you know, you don't have the stresses of the money, but then you have the stresses of not being around your family, not being around your kids, that taking a toll on my, myself, like as a man not being around your kids. The other flip side of that is the toll on the, the wife or the woman having to deal with the kids on her own, yep. not really getting much of a break. So, I mean, it's fucking so uh, prevalent in mining that guys Huge, go through two and, massive, man. two and three relationships and the suicide rate for miners is fucking through the roof, man. Yeah. Um, obviously due to all those issues. Yeah. So where did that end up end up leading you? So obviously you're not in the mines anymore. You've got a completely different path. But what was the what was the breakdown point of all of that that sort of tipped you over the edge and led to the path that you're on now? Um. Yeah. The relationship breakdown. Pretty. Oh, the the realization of the relationship going fucking south. Yep. Um. I started to come home on my days off and started getting into it, and then just old habits, man. Just old habits. Not knowing. What hell? I was training in the gym already then, but you know the food nutrition wasn't good, and once again hadn't dealt with my shit. So yep. old habits of coping mechanisms had just come back in. You know those feel good coping things to make you feel good, those coping mechanisms. And for me, it was drugs. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, got back into all that stuff, and obviously things evolve, and then you know you start getting in back into those circles. So therefore, you meet fucking people that you people that you knew. Yeah. Yep. You know all that six degrees of separation shit, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just, and then it, you fall back into what your normal used to be. So, Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you. One of the things that I found when I was uh, going through my process of healing and my process of sorting my life out is like, even though you didn't like who you were, there was familiarity in it, which well, a comfort and, zone. Yeah, it's a comfort zone, and you'd find yourself in a situation where you had every reason and every right to be happy. And it's almost like you didn't want to be. It's almost like you want to be miserable. You want to be doing the things you were doing before, even though they didn't serve you. Or at least that's the way I found it for me. You know, there were times where I had opportunity to be happy and opportunity to be present. And it just didn't feel right. It just wasn't normal for me because I'd been so miserable for so long and in the hole for so long. There was, there was a familiarity to it. Well, yeah, that, it, because if you, once you've done something for so long, it becomes your norm. Yeah. That's what you're used to. That's what your comfort zone is. So then when you go, when you have something, you go out and even, and I know I've done it, you self-sabotage. Yeah, 100%. You, you fucking, you fuck it up or you, you know, subconsciously you fuck it up or you purposely fuck it up because whether it's your programming, you don't feel like you deserve to be happy, whether it's your fucking, that was your norm, so you're back in your comfort zone of fucking feeling like shit or feeling, you know, having that negative out view on the world or, yep. you know, or this happened to me because of fucking whatever or oh, this is the same old shit or yeah, yeah. fucking just stories. That, that, the stories yeah, you tell yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. stories and the mindset, that negative mindset, man. So at one point there, like, you know, you've got a mortgage, you've got a relationship, you've got one daughter, you've got another kid on the way. Somewhere along the line, it still ended up with you battling an addiction and living out of your car. So you went from sort of a mm. point of almost sort of getting it together Whoa. to living out to living out of your car. Well, we did have it together because my yeah, second daughter got born and then I managed to get a mortgage. So then we were, you know, living the, the dream, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. But the relationship, you know, was it was taking its toll on the relationship, stresses. Um, and we weren't taking, something that I know now, we weren't taking time out to fill our own cup. Yeah, okay. That's, yep, what, yep. It was. That's what it was. Living two separate lives under one roof? Um, Not really. It's just we weren't, the time that we did have or we didn't create the time to be able to fill our cups. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
we weren't using or creating time or possibly creating the time to be able to fill our cups, possibly because we didn't know how the fuck to do it. I was going to say, what you know now compared to back then, no, it's, yeah. it probably uh, yeah, it would have been a case of like, you know, the things I know now compared to what I knew oh, back then, you know, I was a fucking, I was a 35-year-old <laughs> child, you know, I didn't know shit. But, um, uh, so yeah, that well, makes perfect sense. Yeah, so we didn't take the time to fill our cup. We didn't take the time to connect as a, a relationship, as you know, with a part with each other. Um, so yeah, that took its toll. Um, at the last mining job I had, um, the car just as I started that job, the car that we had shit itself, pretty much shit itself. So it was either. Do the cost to fly, to catch the train, catch the plane, get out to the mine, or buy a lease car yep. and, and drive out. Yeah. Driving out was 11 hours up and 11 hours back. Week on, week off, 84 hours a week over uh, seven days, 11-hour car trip up, yep. 84 hours, finish on a night shift in the morning, oh, jump in the car, drive 11 hours fucking home back to fucking... Brisbane, where and then I try to be living. a functioning human being. Then, no, I then get home and then deal with my kids and my girls. Try and spend some time with them, and deal with a partner who was suffering full blown depression. Yeah, fucking hell. So that's obviously when the you know the fucking more of the drugs kicked in. I then you know started working with a guy who had fucking connections, old back to the old patterns, old yeah, behaviors. Yep. Best coping mechanism, best way to get home after a night shift so I could get home to my cheeky girls. Little, cheeky little bump to get home. Yeah, yep. cheeky, you know, to get home to my girls um, and try and be the ultimate dad. Yeah. Um, do everything I possibly fucking could or what I thought I could. Um, and two years later, man, it fucking took its toll. I mean, I was trying to set up – it got to the point where I was trying to set up a business at home to – get home to work out of home so I could fucking be at home, yep. run a business, cope with the mortgage payments, yep. cope with the fucking car. I had a bike on finance at that stage as well. Yep. Fucking, you know, finance up to my eyeballs, trying to live, you know, the life. Yep. Um, and so... Turned out the Australian dream was fucking crushing you. Well, <laughs> it was, and also the guy I was trying to go into business with, obviously we were doing shit on, on the side yep. to... You know, to try and survive to get yeah, to that yeah. point. Um, and then, yeah, once again, fucking uh, that took over, man. And then in the fucking, it yeah, got to the point of getting in the middle of some seriously fucking hectic shit and getting to the point of having to trigger a dead man switch to get the fuck away from it all. All right, so for the guys who are listening who don't know, can you explain a, a dead man switch? Uh, okay, dead man switch is... Basically going to a solicitor um, and saying, righto, this is what I know, fucking blah, 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 without going to the cops and making a formal statement. Okay. But if I disappear and I'm never to be found or... My like a security fucking, blanket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, my, yeah. Or my fucking body just... If I vanish, or, release this information, <laughs> yeah. essentially. Or, yeah. or the latest thing, yeah. <laughs> Epstein did not kill himself. <laughs> Epstein did not kill himself. <laughs> Holy um, shit. <laughs> yeah, if that was shit to us. So basically, you give them information on the on the proviso that if For you vanish s- or you disappear, yeah, solicitor. They release, the, the solicitor then the releases solicitor that information. The solicitor then goes to, That's heavy if, shit. if you fucking, yeah, if your body comes up or your body's never be found, because I'd already been put on the missing persons list and the kidnap list, so at that stage. <laughs> I already had. Oh yeah, I already had um, federal police looking for me, normal police looking for me for missing persons because that's how fucked up hectic it got. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I actually told the initial solicitor, I fucking went and saw turned out to be, un- unbeknownst to me, turned act- actually out to be the solicitor for one of the main dudes in the syndicate. So it obviously got back to him, Shit. which is in high, uh, knowing what I know now, I think that's what actually saved my life. Yeah, okay. That he got back, the story got back to somebody and they just said, leave him the fuck alone. Yeah, because they know that if you get tapped now, the information's leave, out. Leave him the fuck alone. We don't know who else knows this story. Yeah. Just walk, just walk the fuck away from him. Just let him go. And I, I, I feel now that that was what saved my life. 
Yeah, right. But that's, uh, when you look at all these little things about, you oh, know, yeah, man. there's so much, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys believe out there, but I'm slowly starting to believe that we are all fucking little pieces on a big chessboard and the universe is just doing its thing whether we like oh, it or yeah, not. Yeah, totally, man. And when, man. You, when you look at, you know, the, you know, you should have died once. The Dead Man oh, Switch probably saved your life. Man, I've fucking probably faced, died a couple I've of times. faced death multiple times, man, like coming close to bike accidents, you know, snapping handlebars at 120 k's an hour. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, man, riding the bike, cars pulling out on me. Fucking, oh, yeah, I've faced death heaps of times. Out of, out of everything you've faced in your life, one, I had a conversation with a friend a while ago, and one of the things that I believe is that rock bottom – is subjective. If you take, oh, say, totally. if you take, if you take a rich kid who's had money his whole life, never had to save for anything, being given everything, and all of a sudden he's on a budget and he has to buy his own stuff, that's their rock bottom. If they've never had to work in their life and they've never had to do anything, that can be a rock bottom for them. Whereas if you if you're a struggler who's fought for every dollar, having a steady paycheck is an amazing thing, and it's like your high point. Out of everything that you've been through, what do you think was your ultimate rock bottom? At what point did you like completely and utterly hit rock bottom, and how did you rebound from that point? Um, after the, yeah, I'll just finish off with the barrister, the bar, when I told the barrister my story, he said to me, he said, man, um, I've been a barrister for 25 years and he goes, I can safely say I've never seen any fucking thing like that in my life. When did your book come out? And he said, <laughs> it's funny you should say that too. Um, he said, I said to him, yeah, 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 I know it's a Hollywood story. It's a movie. I'm paranoid. I'm fucking this and that. And he goes, man. That's a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> and I just went, well, man. We should hit Tarantino up to make it, yeah, man. I reckon you could find something to do with it. I actually said to him, I said, man, I've lived that. That's no yeah, bullshit, yeah. man. And another dude in that time actually said to me, when there's too many coincidences, they're not coincidences. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that really stuck with me since yeah. then. It's like fucking, you know, all the shit that's going on for me now, all the positive stuff that's going on for me now, and moving year. forward. And seeing all the fucking numbers and all that shit that I constantly see every day. Yep. You know, people say, oh, it's a coincidence or whatever. But as I said, I still hear that dude's voice going, it's too, many, too many coincidences, it's not a coincidence. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So, yeah, going on from there. Um, so your, your rock bottom out of all of that, what point do you think was the absolute <clears throat> sort of lowest point for you? I know I've got two that I refer back to and I spoke about it in my first podcast. First one was my uh, first suicide attempt in my car, and I thought that was rock bottom. Mm. But then my real rock bottom came when uh, I was sitting on my fucking bedroom floor, and I realised that I had no way to feed my kids. I had no money. Bank accounts were empty. Didn't have a credit card. Fucking not only were the bank accounts empty, they were fucking thousands of dollars in debt. I was mm. months behind with my rent. There was no food, and my uh, my girlfriend had to go to a food bank to get food for my fucking kids. And I realised mm. at that point that was my fucking rock. Like me killing myself. That's one thing. Not being able to fucking put food on the table for my kids, that was a different level of fucking rock bottom. So what do you think out of all of that, your true rock bottom would have been? Um, It was a period, man. That was a, that was a good few months. I mean, I split with my the mother of my girls. I went into financial hardship because I, I lost my license due to points. I got made from my, I got made redundant from my mining job. And I split with my partner all Fuck. within about a month of each other back in 2014. Kicking the, all, dog, kicking all, the dog while it's down. All that happened, as I said, in a, in a period of a, of a month. Um, still using a little bit here and there at that time. Um, knew that I'd hit the wall. Knew that I had to get away from all that stuff. And knew that the only way to do that was isolation. Yep. Um, jumped in my car um, and lived in my car for three months, which was realistically at that time was the best thing I could have done. Cold, yep. cold showers in parks, no hot water. We love the cold water, mate. Down, you know we love yeah, the cold yeah. water here. <laughs> Down to um, subconsciously intermittent fasting, two meals a day. Was that a, because you couldn't afford a, to eat three? Yeah, on a, park, <laughs> on, a park, on a park barbecue, man, a one piece of meat and some salad. And See, that's, that's actually my idea of a fucking holiday now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's my stable diet. Just pretty much. So back then it was just like, yeah, really isolating myself, deleting Every fucking number I had in my phone. You're starting fresh. Um, yeah, just isolating myself. But the kicker was the I actually had a girl who was living with me in the car. She yep. got she got kicked out of her mum's place, um, just before we started living in the car. And I just said, Oh she actually said to me, You've got to get away from these guys that you're yeah. hanging around. Um I said, Yeah, I know, but I've, what do I do? I'm close to my girls, I can still see them. Yeah. Or when the ex would let me see them. 
Um, yeah, and I just knew I was around the area for them. Yeah. And being around the area for them, but I was still around toxic fucking people. Yeah. Um, so she said, oh, we'll just treat it like we're camping. So I just, I don't know what right it approach. was, man. It yeah. was a flick of a switch. It was fucking really strange, man. It was a flick of a switch. Okay, I'll just treat I'm it camping. like I'm camping. Just camping. Yeah, and then, okay, we went along like that for a little while. And then the lady who I managed, who was selling my house, had another house over on the uh, east side of Brisbane, um, who had decked her house out to, um, uh, her decked the underneath of her house out. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to call it the dungeon. It was just all enclosed. <laughs> but hey, it was wasn't the roof. Living, wasn't living in the car, and fucking we could cook decent meals and shit. Yep. Anyway, she the chick got jack of that, and she took off. Uh, which is fair enough. We we weren't fucking any sort of relationship. I mean, you know, sexual things in there. Yeah, nothing major. She took off, but that was the final fucking trigger point to, for me to. It was a distra- She was a distraction. Yep. And that her leaving was that final trigger point to you just make me realize how fucked up things had got. Yeah. And how fucked up I'd let things get. Yeah, and I took that. I like the board. way you phrase that. How fucked up you'd let them get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 it's fucking man, it's hard, man. Fucking extreme, you know what we know now. Extreme fucking accountability and yeah. extreme responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. for your actions, and it's fucking hard. It's just fucking massive, bitter, sobering pill to fucking swallow, man. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and um, that um, moment when you realise that everything that is fucking wrong in your life. Is because of you. Everything. Because of a decision I made. Yeah. And majority of the time when I made that decision, on some level I knew it was the wrong fucking decision. Yeah. But I just went with it because it was my comfort zone. I knew that life. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. what I knew that I lived that life for fucking 10 years. It was easy to go fall back into that rather than keep going on the, you know, the fucking straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's. Hang on, started drinking. Yep. One weekend, just after that chick left, and found a piece of rope, had got pissed, checked out the rope, wrapped it around the fucking floorboards or the wall beams of the house, the above the house. Um, got up, got a chair, got up, held on the rope, made sure the rope could take more weight, tied yep. the fucking noose, fucking stood, had another drink, stood there looking at the noose. Got up on the chair, wrapped the noose around my neck, stood there, stood there, stood there. So fuck, I can't. I'm obviously not going to do it now if I haven't fucking dropped off. Yeah. But I also knew that the length of the rope, I would have had to lift my legs off the ground to actually hang myself. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that was that extra kicker. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Do you really like, want to do this? Like, fucking... not, not only do I have to hang myself, yeah. I've got to do a fucking, I've got to do leg raises as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fucking hell, man. Got down, had another couple of drinks. The whole time just bawling my eyes out, um, looking at the rope, got back up on the chair, wrapped the rope around my neck again, stood there, stood there, and just said, okay, I just can't fucking do this, man. I can't do this. And um, cried for another fucking three days straight, pretty much. Yep. Um, And that was my lowest. That was my my rock bottom. And this ties in nicely. So you guys have heard what is... And probably we've only heard maybe a quarter of it as well. Like, you know, when you think about the length of time you're in the gang, let's flip shit on its head, man. Let's talk about where you are today and your vision and your journey because we've known each other, I don't know if you know this, we've known each other close to a year now, actually. Coming, yeah. up, coming up close to a year. Um, and in that time, we've both seen each other. I've, you know, I've personally had what I consider to be amazing growth in myself and amazing growth in the Black Dog Brotherhood, and that's something I'm very proud of that I've been able to do. Yeah, be, but yeah. I've also seen the growth in you and the changes in you and the formation of Brothers Keeper. So, man, what I want for you right now is I want you to tell everybody out there where you're at right now, your vision, what it is you are trying to accomplish, and a bit about Brothers Keeper, because what you're doing, dude, is fucking nothing short of phenomenal <laughs> it's going to be a long road like yeah. let's not let's not fucking oh, uh mate, let's it's not... already been a long road <laughs> it is fucking um, amazing dude and i want everybody out there to hear what it is that you're doing i had it come to me when i got off ice and got pretty yeah got clean really um that the life that i lived and the life experience i had Obviously, I traveled down that road for a fucking much bigger reason, and I was still alive after facing death and being shot dead for 
a massively bigger fucking reason yep. than what I could even fathom, really. Um, I was told about a pro uh, uh, current, uh, Today Tonight program that went around the streets of Logan and saw 12 and 13-year-old girls prostituting themselves. That triggered something in me because my eldest daughter was 10 when I split with her mother yep. and I knew, you know, where... You saw it through where, her father's eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where she could possibly end up, and also living that life, seeing fucking where hand, yeah. some of the fucking women ended up. Yeah, from the, that that toxic fucking path, man. You know, all that path of severe trauma. Yeah, yeah. So that triggered me and just go, oh, fucking my life experience. I've got to. It's got to account for fucking something. Yeah. And it came to me then that I've got to work with fucking youth. And I had the idea back then to set up a farm. A farm. I called it back then a farm retreat. Now I call it farm program. Yep. And the name came to me back then was um, Brothers Keeper. And you've actually got that all up and running now. It's like in its uh Yeah, its finally, even though another fucking, you know, low point for my life, I split. I've just had a son. Um, he's nearly four. I've just recently, as you know, split from her, his, his mother, um, which is another low point. But um, I'm a lot more equipped to handle the downs yep. and, and, and that from that. New level of mental maturity. Um, but I do know that um, the universe was making things as, as, as uncomfortable as possible in that relationship. So I had to, it was pushing me to move forward on, my, on my mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in the process now. I've just got the business registered, um, Brothers Keeper. Um, so yeah, it's officially registered and got the logo. Um, trying to work through a business plan at the moment to get it to a point where I can um, present it to state government to do a full youth justice, youth detention reform. Reform. So no, no small goals. Your your goal is to completely reform the youth justice system as we know it. <laughs> yeah. I don't generally tend to do things in half. It's <laughs> like one of those dudes I either jump first and try and swim later or I bite off more than I can chew and chew like a motherfucker. Fuck it. <laughs> fail forward, man. Just fail forward. Jump in and just fucking do but it. The flip sides of that is, and that's something that's come out in the men's group that you, know, you and I are involved with, and I fucking wish I'd found these guys years ago. Give like, them a plug. Throw it yeah, out man, there. Mankind Project, mate. Um, it's for me personally, it's next level shit. It's a game man. changer, absolutely. Yeah, I next agree. level shit. Um, yeah, I've been involved in a couple of different men's groups, and this is yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, levels above the other ones, man. For the work that it does, absolutely. Um, yeah, the amount of and also seeing and you know it too. You go to a men's group, man, and a guy gets up and does his work. And even you walk out of there you going, yeah, yeah, fuck it. you. It doesn't yeah. matter. You can go up, man, and not do any personal work yourself. But the guy that gets up and does it, you take something and go, fuck yeah, yeah, that was for me, 100%. man. 100%. For anybody who's yeah. listening, check out Mankind Project. If you are a dude and you feel lost, you feel disconnected, you're just looking for something better, I can put my hand on my heart and say that Mankind Project, MKP Australia, is a fucking game. It's not what you think. It's not just dudes sitting around fucking just sharing feelings and fucking having a cry. It's actual work and men looking inwards to realize what it is that they need to do and being given the tools and showing the pathway to actually make a change. So I just want to chuck that plug in there because it is an absolute, it's been a game changer for you and it's been a game changer oh, for me. massively, man, massively. Look, as I said, like the first night, the, actually we both showed up there. So oh, yeah, we did our first night together, yeah, wasn't we? Yeah, yeah, once yeah, again, it was, the yeah. universe, universe uh, pushing us, yeah, 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 pushing us to do that. And um, yeah, man, like as I said, I fucking actually said to one of the guys when he one of the main guys when he called me out one night on some of my shit he came up to me in a break and said oh don't be you know don't have any shame around it and that's a big thing about it is what you feel and what you're going through and what you've got going on there's no shame around it you know you don't need to feel guilt you don't need to feel shame there's a reason for it and it's also a matter of trying to find out what that core reason is to what you're going through yes and this is also helping me with brothers keeper um you know like what i'd like to teach you know what i'd like to take into the youth detention centers and not only creating um, um farm programs giving them life skills employment skills starting their healing um and bringing them you know same shit you do man um, nutrition 
fitness. I'm involved with Muay Thai, so I want to get, you know, I'd love to the offer, whole gamut. Yeah, yeah, mixed martial arts and Muay Thai because my opinion is you've got to attack your trauma and your shadow and your fucking the darkness and all that from as many angles as you can. Yes. Because if you don't yes. attack it, once again, my opinion, if you don't attack it from any angle, it's going to come out. Come from another angle. Yeah, yeah. Come, at you, come <laughs> yeah. at you from another angle, man. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's fucking... And, I mean, the, the offshoots to, you know, the youth justice reform is doing school holiday programs for young men from yep. 14 to 17 um, over a, you know, four or five-day period. Um, getting them into the process and not having any shame around, you know, their sexuality, being able to talk about shit, express their emotions, being able to cry in front of another person, yeah, letting their emotions out, being and being okay with that, yeah. Definitely. Because what you don't realize, or you know, what I didn't realize is so many other people are going, and especially going through those transformational years, so many other men and I can only speak for men, are going through the same shit. Yeah. But you're so, well, for me. We're so self-contained. So, we're so shut down yeah. and fucking I've got to be, you know, this has been programmed to me. I have to be this way. This is the way a man acts. This is the way blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's not, man. It's yeah. so fucking toxic. It's so toxic for becoming a fucking all-round healthy man. Absolutely. So, Mate, yeah. we're, uh, we're pushing an hour, so we're, we are going to wrap it up. But what I am going to do, Anybody out there who is listening to this who is involved in youth justice in any way, shape, or form, I want you to reach out to Brothers Keep and I want you to reach out to Duncan to let him know any way, because let's face it, it's a government organization and all government organizations are monolithic in their approach. Um, so if anybody out there has any connections to youth justice, if anybody out there has any ins to youth justice, if anybody out there works with youth justice, reach out to me, reach out to Duncan, reach out to Brothers Keeper because... You could be the person who makes a difference in not one, not two, but hundreds, if not thousands of young people's lives because Duncan has the tools to change lives and he's going to do it one way or another. I can fucking, I see that you guys can't see it, but I see the passion and the determination in his eyes here. He's going to do it one way or another, but you could be the person who plays a role in helping him bring that in and help so well, many young people. I've actually dreamt my past. When I got clean off. Oh, well, never mind then. He's dreamt it. It's cool. <laughs> I, had, I, I had a really vivid dream, which, um, yeah, once again, would be another podcast on itself, probably if I went into detail. Um, but obviously, it takes a lot of people to get this shit off the ground. Huge you know amount. Oh, massive, massive. The lone wolf dies alone. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that analogy here and then. I agree to it. agree with it on some parts, and I disagree with it on other parts. But, um, yeah, it's a massive fucking thing, and I know that deep down I know that when it kicks off it'll go statewide and possibly even Australia wide so you know I'm more than happy to have people jump on board and fucking work with me to get this fucking thing happening I know that I can't do it all on my own um and yeah man if you're willing to put in and and give as much as what I am then yeah be prepared to come along for the ride man because it is it's one thing I am man is fucking um and more, and definitely more so now through Mankind Project is um, in, all about integrity, accountability, and loyalty. Yes, hundred percent, man. Thank you so much for your time today, and more importantly, man, thank you for your honesty. I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to listen to this, and there's so many elements to your story. I can guarantee that almost everybody who's listening is going to have something resonate with them. Just like when we see men do work at MKP and we take something away from it, I know that almost every person who listens to this is going to take something away from it, man. So thank you so much for your honesty, and thank you for sharing. No, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, fucking, yeah, I know your thing's going to go through the roof too, mate. So Fingers yeah. crossed. Working on oh, it. <laughs> I know it will, brother. So, yeah, I wish you all the best too on your journey, man. Beautiful. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. As we said at the beginning, okay, if you are in that headspace, if you are struggling, you are not alone. Reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to Black Dog Brotherhood. Reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue. Reach out to family. Reach out to friends. See your GP and get a referral. There is no shame. But nobody can help you if you don't fucking reach out for it. You're not alone. Check out Mankind Project online. Find where someone's near you. Yes. Come, al come along. Reach out. Absolutely. You're not the only one going through that shit. There's plenty of other guys that have have done, are going, and probably will go through it as well, man. 100%.
All right, guys, that's all we've got time for today. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other.